You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, the annual best of DevOps on DevOps and Docker Talk. I'm your host, Brett Fisher. And in this episode, which we recorded in December of 2023, I had Nermal, my co-host, and then we invited Melissa McKay, who is a developer advocate at JFrog and a Docker captain. So we had three Docker captains, including myself, and we talked through our favorite tools it may not even be DevOps oriented, but it just might be the things that we use every day, the things we like to use in containers and in cloud native DevOps. And we just talk about them, maybe show them a little bit, but this is just a fun episode of three friends talking about what they love. And I sometimes think these are the best shows because we didn't plan out this long list of each topic like it's some sort of news cycle. We just brought a favorite tool and a favorite like non-DevOpsy thing or something that we would do on our computers. So of course I talked about Arc Browser, which is something I have been talking about all year for 2023. And I will probably keep talking about 2024 because I think Arc Browser is a fantastic tool and we all need an update a little bit in our browser technology, I think, at least in terms of managing the bloat of all the tabs. So I talked about that for a little bit. We talked about Dive, which is a great utility for looking into Docker images and seeing what's in them, even into containers. We talked about the theme of eBPF as a technology for accessing the Linux kernel from security, networking, and observability tools. I mentioned a new tool out of ChainGuard called Digestabot, which I'm definitely going to be using in GitHub Actions to help automate updates for my images, especially when I pin them to a SHA hash. Anyway, we get into tons of stuff and I loved our chat with Melissa and Nermal. So please enjoy this now annual, since I think this is our third year in a row, annual best of DevOps for 2023. Hello, welcome to the show, the internet. Hello, hello. Hi. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Brett, really, really cool to be here. Really happy to meet you too. And uh, I'm excited to do this show with you. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And we're all Docker captains here. Not that that's a requirement. It just so happens that the three of us are in the Docker captain program. So we're fans of containers, hence this show. That's why Docker's in the name of the show, because we keep talking about it. Melissa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you at today? Yeah, Working. of course. I'm calling in from Denver, Colorado, and it's really cold here right now. So I have my lovely Christmas <laughs> scarf on. To keep warm. There's in snow fact, in the background. So, yeah, yeah. Well, if I were to show you my window, there'd be snow in the other background as well. Pretty cool. But it's cold enough. My car died this morning. That was not as much fun for me. But mm. so this is my the highlight of my day since I had to deal with that this morning. <laughs> Staying inside. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this. I uh, work for JFrog. I'm a developer advocate there currently, and I've been doing that for about three years. So that's a lot of traveling and. I'm going to conferences, speaking on various topics. And before that, though, I've, I've been a developer for years and years and years. Um, when I was an intern right out of college, I the very first job I had was a services job. So we just basically did whatever came in the door, right? So I think my very first project was actually Ruby on Rails project. And so I got a lot of experience with different stuff. And, oh, I got to work in C Sharp for a while. My, you know, first coding was C++, so way back, way back then. And, and then, of course, Java came into play. So I became a Java champion a couple of years ago. That's been nice. exciting. Great community of people. Really, really love the, all of them. So yeah, that's more about me. Nice. Well, we're excited to have you here. We're going to pick on Melissa. What is your, I mean, we all have a lot of things, but like, what would you like to open with as like 2023, something you loved? Something I loved. So in DevOps or tech or this is by all means not new. It's a little tool that I brought up again because with all of this new stuff coming out, all of these new images being created, um, especially, you know, all the new AI, ML, Docker images and everything. I just, I really like to take things apart and see how they work. So I'm not satisfied with just clumping a bunch of libraries together and just magically tossing them all in a container and everything just works. I want to tear it apart and see exactly what's running under the covers. I think that's going to become more and more important to do too in the future, especially yeah. I'm sure we're going to start talking about security here because <laughs> that's pretty big deal in 2023. But anyway, I was looking at a, an image recently. I think it was just like the latest TensorFlow image. And I just, I wanted to do some customizations to it, you know, add some 
like a little bit of training and stuff like that. And I needed to make it as small as possible. And I also wanted to make sure I was using like a secure repo, which meant I needed to pass in credentials, but I wanted to build this image in a way that other people could use it. So I needed to see how it was built so I could use, you know, something like multi-stage build or something, you know, to make it really nice and sleek. And I didn't go hunting for the Docker file, or even if I did, I wouldn't have found what I wanted. I wanted to see the actual files that are being added. So I went to this little tool, it's called Dive. I found this several years ago, but I've been using it a lot this year. And it's very cool. You're able to bring up your image, you can view all the layers, but it's more than that. You get the actual file structure. And you can tell as you move through the layers, uh, which uh, directories and files have been modified, which have been added, uh, which have been removed. It's pretty cool. I really like it. So I've used it a lot. That's my favorite. Yeah, this is an oldie but a goodie, actually. I mean, and it's one of those things where people, people have come up to me. Have you seen Dive? Have you played with Dive? Like it is one of those tools where if you've used it and you Mm -hmm. tend to spread the love because you just want everyone else to use it. It's very useful. So what specifically do you like the most out of Dive? Like what's the use case where you find yourself going to it? Like, is it just because you're finding these images, you don't know what they are? Or? I mean, well, like I said, in one point, I needed to find out or, or avoid, you know, packing any credentials or anything in there. And I, right. I was using a base image. I wasn't sure how it was being built, but I needed my own custom image. So in order to do the, you know, like a multi-stage build, I need to know exactly what directories I needed to be paying attention to. Because there's so much magic behind the scenes going on. You know, stuff gets installed for you, put in certain directories, sometimes, you know, maybe not the default place you'd expect. So I just needed to be able to, you know, confirm, figure out where everything lives, uh, make sure nothing else was being added that I didn't expect and be able to copy the appropriate places forward into my final image. That's awesome. I think that's also useful for folks that are maybe just getting started with containers and want to see how, you know, you, you end up pulling containers from all kinds of places that as you're experimenting, as you're trying new pieces of software out, things that are delivered as containers, and then maybe want to see what patterns people are using to build their containers and how yeah, they're built. It's a great tool to kind of just even learn what's going on. You know, one thing that was brought to my attention way back when I first started building containers, because I I didn't really understand all the details about how the layers worked and all of that. I just, you know, I'm one of these people that I just want to get something to work first, right? Sometimes you get excited and you move on. You You need to go back and figure out, okay, what exactly did I do? And one thing that became really apparent to me is like, you can't, when you're building an image, it's not like a script. It's And I've seen this before in a lot of examples that people do where their first time, they might put some credentials in there and then think that, oh, I can just delete them later in the Docker file. And then yeah. I'm, I'm good because I've, yeah. I've removed all my stuff. You know, I did an intermediate build or whatever, and then I uh, removed stuff at the end. So I'm fine. Well, try bringing up that image and dive. You're going to see those files and directories in there because they still exist in the previous layers, right? They aren't actually removed. Yeah. In fact, I've used this tool in a real project. And that's when I first discovered that if I installed Node.js from the official Debian package, that it also installed Python. And I only knew that. It's not like it was telling me. I just only knew that because I was looking at the layers and it was like, this layer is a lot bigger than I think it should be. And then I start going, diving through and I go into the bin directory and there's Python's right in there. And I'm like, this is a node image. Why don't I need Python? So that, that mm-hmm. led to a discovery that I talk about now in my Node.js talks, because I, I want people to like realize there's a whole bunch of extra stuff in here that you didn't even ask for. There's something about the Python needing to be there to install node or part of node or something. There's a Python script. Anyway, I've complained a lot. Nobody's done anything about it, but it was dive. It was dive that did it. So, you know, yay dive. That's awesome. That's a um, good one. It is a really good one. I'm going to do a fr- I'm going to throw a pro tip on that real quick by the way on dive if dive is good for exploring but it's not great it doesn't really have features to like remove I wish it could sort of like rep- you just delete in there I don't think it does this has this feature yet or we could I could just say delete this directory and then it sort of breaks it all apart takes that thing out and puts it back together as an image that would be super that'd probably be a paid feature but something else we also talk about a lot here is the slim toolkit 
And so the Slim Toolkit and Slim AI, the company behind it, if you're using Dive and you're le- and you realize there's a bunch of extra stuff in here that I definitely don't want, but I don't know how to get rid of it and I don't want to go mucking with the Docker file or try to figure out how to do everything all in one large run statement so that I can delete things and then add things and, del- you know, that whole mess. Slim AI, who, who should just become a partner. <laughs> Slim AI, because I talk about them all the time. They should sponsor us. That actually can do that. It can actually go in and pull stuff out after the image is built and they use a bunch of analysis and other things depending on whether you're using the Slim Toolkit free or the Slim AI, the paid version. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because that a lot of times people use Dive and they go, okay, great. There's too much stuff in here. Now what? Yep. What do I do now? And alluding to some of the things that we're going to be talking about today around su- software supply chain, SBOMs, also machine learning container images. Container images are starting to become big and meaty and like have a lot of things in them, uh, a lot of dependencies. I mean, that's the flexibility you get from containers is tying your dependencies in there. But these tools become even more relevant as time goes on because of the complexity that we're putting into the containers over over the years. So we're now at that stage where deeper analysis is kind of part of the work that we do on a daily basis. So yeah, I feel like it's like you're leveling up. Like when we all start out, like Melissa was saying, we don't really know what's in there. We feel like it's a lot of magic. We may not know why it's a gig or two gig. I've had several images, Ruby images in particular, or node images where they're two gig in size and they have a ton of developer tools that don't need to be there. And yeah, so all these tools, we've done several episodes on them. I feel like we should just have an annual plan to do this episode of let's break down an image and figure out how to make it smaller and just like do this on the show. That'd be fun. That's a great show. Yeah, put that on the list. Okay, put it on the list. I don't have a piece of paper. Okay, I'll put it on the list later. Normal, <laughs> what do you have a pick or a topic for 2023 that's like, I feel like there's so many ways we could slice this. We could say your favorite tool. We could say, what did you? What do you think won in DevOps in 2023? Like what tool or thing captured our imagination? Of course, again, can't just say AI, but whatever your definition is of the thing that you would like to throw into the, the hat into the ring for 2023. Yeah, thank you. Such a tough question. So ML, I'm going to say for looking forward to 2024. So AI, ML, I'll, I'll save that. I'll spare okay. you okay. that news, Brett. I think for this past year, OpenTelemetry is a project that I've been invo- you know, working with the, the OpenTelemetry project and tool set for my day job and also just interested in the observability and monitoring in general. And that's something that actually on, on, on this show, Brett, we don't really talk about that much around observability and monitoring. And maybe that's something that we should put on the list for next year as well. But for those that don't know, OpenTelemetry is a CNCF project upstream. And it's it's kind of the, the one observability agent to rule them all kind of idea, right? So if you're using any kind of monitoring tools, you know, either paid SaaS, PaaS platforms for monitoring or open source, such as like Prometheus or Grafana, oftentimes they come with some kind of, you know, for Prometheus, you need a Prometheus server to scrape metrics, or you need some kind of agent to collect telemetry, right? Traces, metrics, logs, et cetera. And open telemetry is kind of, oh, it's meant to standardize the collection of telemetry. So it started with the merging of I think two of the upstream tracing open source projects, I think it was open census and open tracing, if I remember correctly, those got merged and then brought into open telemetry. So it focused initially on tracing, which is the instrumentation of your application code with that allows you to see what activity is going on through a request, what services are being called through a single request, your dependencies like front end, calling a back end, calling a database, and then all the way back. And then metrics and then logs were added over the years. And open telemetry is gaining a lot, it's gained a lot of steam over this past year. A lot of the customers I talked to, a lot of the activity at KubeCon was oriented toward open telemetry adoption. And with logs being now supported in upstream, it covers a lot of the telemetry that that you and you might be collecting in one kind of agent and uh, simplifies the the agent deployment for collecting the, the telemetry that you need. So if you are in the process of building out and scaling some kind of Kubernetes or container based solution in your day job or other job and you want to do some observability 
take a look at OpenTelemetry as that agent. So that's my pick for this past year. A side note to that, and maybe we'll do another round, is eBPF. eBPF has, again, it was there last year in 2022, 2023. Again, another good eBPF year, a lot more use cases, a lot more solutions using eBPF. So that's something that's hot in 2023 and I think will continue to be hot in 2024. So I uh, can talk more about eBPF, yeah. Uh, if we want to loop back around, but th- those are my highlights for 2023. Open Telemetry, we have had shows on it, but we haven't done any sort of deep dive or it's been very product focused, right? Because Open Telemetry, there are products that adhere to it. So we've had products on the show before, but we're due for another one. Again, this shows the problem is this show is going back now five years and I, I'm like, yeah, we've had that on the show, but then I look and it's like 2020. So, you know, everything has changed since 2020 or 2019 or whatever the last time they were on the show. So definitely yeah. open telemetry and observability. Those are themes. Uh, you're absolutely right. Like KubeCon was saturated with that, as well as everyone having an eBPF logo, especially in the security space or the observability space, because they yep. all are trying to enable the eBPF conduit to the kernel or whatever. And we've had Liz, like if anyone's interested, go back in this channel, search this channel from the main channel page for anything Liz Rice. Of course, you can just search YouTube for anything Liz Rice. She's been talking about eBPF. I think we had her on the show in like 2019 or 2020 talking about it. And we keep having her back. We have other people on that talk about it. Unless you're a developer who's going to develop kernel, things that talk to the kernel itself through syscalls and stuff. Unless you're that, you like if you're like me, you don't actually have to know the depths of eBPF. You can really just know that the tools you're using have a, have modernized themselves to go to eBPF. And I think that's part of the confusion, too, is people think they need to download eBPF or install it or something. And you don't really, you don't need to do that anymore. I think all the latest kernels that we're all probably using have been enabled for eBPF. So I, I think a good way of highlighting the difference is like eBPF is what the container runtime is doing for us when we're, when we're using something like Docker. Like you don't necessarily need to go into the depths of namespaces and C groups and, you know, IP tables and things like that, that the container runtime is doing to make the container or run the container. eBPF is kind of like that layer, right? So you might be using it. You might not know that you're using it, but it's there. And I think the use cases are still early days. Oh, I was going to say there is this documentary. I'll put this in. This was at KubeCon. This just came out, right? Yeah, this came out at KubeCon. And if you haven't seen, honestly, I watched this and I feel like I want to watch eBPF the movie. I mean, this is 30 minutes, but I feel like it's the trailer to the movie. And it's got all the players. It's got it's got some of the founders of the eBPF project in there. Liz Rice is in there sometimes talking about, and it's really cool because it actually does talk about this person talking to this person and you know, this person at Google is talking to this person at this other company and they they have this idea and they don't and people don't really get it. So they have to get more people on board and they have to bring in more, I guess, kernel influencers. I don't know if they use that term, but people and then eventually they get it merged and they, they can't believe it. And then things start to happen and new tools show up that are way faster than the previous generation of tools. And I love it because it I feel like I don't I've never actually had to develop anything in any in BPF, but I feel like I know enough to talk about it now. So just anyway. enough to be dangerous. That's right. That's right. Back to you. What is your top thing for 2023? Well, these are all great themes. The, I, I love, you talked about, we didn't mention S to the bomb. I mean, security for me was a theme of the year. If you look back, we're going to talk about chain guard, but my, basically mine is security supply chain tooling for mortals. And that's the that's why I started the year down in Tampa for Sivo Navigate. I did a talk on I think thirty different tools that normal non security people could actually use to tighten down their container supply chain and everything that goes in the container, how you build the container, how you deploy the container, how you secure the repos, how you secure the cluster. There was a lot going on in there. It was a horrible talk. I don't recommend it because it was just like rapid fire. But it was meant to help get people at a meta level instead of talk on one talk that's all about one tool and this talks all about one tool and i mentioned both slim ai and slim uh, as well as chain guard images one of my favorite things of 2023 and i think someone in mentioned the chat it already 
Maz, yeah, Maz. Shout out to Maz. This is the same thing you thought of as the top thing for 2023. Go for it, Brett. Yeah, so we had Chain Guard on the show in 2022 when it was all new. And we, it, the, the, I think the show title was Wolfie, which is the the Linux distribution for container images that's behind the Chain Guard images. So the title's a little different now. It's called Chain Guard Images. But they have a website. And to me, this is becoming or has become for many people the new official images. Like instead of Docker Hub official images, especially for programming languages, I come here. And they're as secure or they're better, they're more secure than Alpine, but more capable and compatible than Alpine. So they're more like a Debian image in terms of compatibility with the C libraries, but they have the minim minimal lockdown, zero CVE policy, even tighter than what Alpine does. And so you can just, they didn't have a website before, which is kind of a list. So now on this website, you can search for, you know, Node.js or Python or whatever, or all the different major open source images. They're adding more all the time. I can't even keep up anymore. But when you go in there for free, you get access to a lot of the things. If you want to do certain things like pin to a tag and be certain that that tag will stay the same over time or will be updated and always available or whatever, there's certain things that you have to pay for, but you get a lot for free out of it, out of their image distribution. You know, because essentially what you're doing is using this instead of Docker Hub. And if you just jump in and say, I want to use Python, you can see how to run them. You can see what's in them. You can see all the tags. So it's becoming a really useful resource for anyone who's using official images from Docker Hub and they maybe have heard me complain about Alpine. So they're scared of Alpine images, which I'm not always a fan. And they know they have a lot of vulnerabilities in their images and they want to secure down their images to zero CVEs. Chain guard images is the way to do that. The other thing just related to that, that I'll throw in there. This is actually a pretty slick tool. I haven't even used it yet, but I'm already advocating for it. They're calling it Digestabot. And there's multiple ways to do this, but what this tool does specifically for me is it will update any images of Docker files, Helm charts. In fact, they have all these different usage options. So any place that you would define a container image by tag or shell hash, you can now have this running as a cron job in GitHub Actions, updating to the latest every day. The specific thing that I really care about with this is that if you look at this format, something I talked about at DockerCon is if I say I want node colon 18.3 or something, and I don't care about the patch version, I just want the patch version to rolling update. Or maybe I care about the patch version, but I but we sometimes in some of these images in Docker Hub, the underlying base image will get updated to reduce the CVE count while maintaining the same version of the tool inside it. So technically, the image is changing, the SHA hash is changing. And you might be using something three months old that's got a lot more CVEs than you really want, a lot more security vulnerabilities. So the way you kind of want to do that, because we all know nowadays we should be pinning to SHA hashes. So the thing that I advocate for is you pin both. So you pin the name of your image and the tag, and you can do whatever you want there. But that tag, once you've put a SHA hash in and pinned it to a specific manifest of an image, this tag actually is ignored by Docker. This this latest is ignored. That is only there for humans. So it's just a helpful label to remind us where we got this SHA hash from. But over time, that latest is going to keep changing and the SHA hash will keep changing. So what this GitHub action does is it automates the PR process whenever it finds that the tag doesn't have that SHA hash anymore. So it assumes that if there's a different SHA hash, it must be a newer version of the image and it will give you a PR to update your Docker files, your Helm charts, your customize, your Kubernetes YAML, all that different stuff. And there are other things to do this, but the one that this does that's unique it, is it will see the label and it will go then look up and match the SHA hash and only give you a PR if they don't match. So it's solving a very specific problem for me because once I've pinned my SHAs, I don't norm like I don't think I could be wrong on this, but I don't think GitHub's Dependabot actually can do that. It can only update tags. It can update SHA hashes. I could be wrong. It might be a new feature, but last I checked, maybe a year ago, it couldn't do it wouldn't do this. It would only update like if I said node 10.2, it would give me a PR for node 10.3 as the label. But it wouldn't understand SHA hashes. I think. By the way, anyway. that sounds like really good swag. A t-shirt that says pin your shahs. Pin your shahs. All right, writing this down. <laughs> we got three. Th I got, I'm putting a list together for the shows next year. And so 
we've got for 2023, we've got the dive tool, which is awesome. We've got chain guard and S bombs and security tooling. We've got some open telemetry and eBPF as, as kind of the themes for 2023. What are we looking forward to for 2024? Melissa? Yeah, I'm, I'm at the edge of my seat. There's so much going on. I, I, I can't wait to see what happens next year because I mean, so I, I've been uh, doing a talk at various conferences and the title is this. It's, it changes as I go because new stuff keeps coming out. But the title is developers are not security experts. Don't expect them to be. Mm. And, and I talk about the reasons for that and, and, and how, you know, maybe all of these tools that are coming out, I think you had mentioned, you know, they, they need to be working for people that are not experts, right? They need to be easy for us to use. So I'm really interested in, in the tools that are coming out, not just the scanners, because the scanners are great. They give you a lot of information, but I mean, the whole list of CVEs, by the time you get that to a developer, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And it's too much for us to sit down and look at each one and decide yeah. whether or not it's important. So I mean, the tools that are coming out that are more focused on whether it's applicable to you, applicable to your code base how you're using it, if you're even using it in a way that makes you vulnerable, that's important to know. Mm. So I think all of that information is going to get better with time. So obviously, there, there's a lot of paid tools out there that are starting to work on this process. You know, for now, you've got your point solutions, you've got, you know, your image scanners, you've got like Docker Scout, you've got, you know, Sneak has their tool and JFrog has a tool as well that that does this, and they're starting to look more at applicability. You know, figuring out whether it's going to be something that makes you vulnerable or not, so you can make better decisions and prioritize. The security side, there's another project that it's not, it's relatively new, and I think more is going to be happening next year. And I discovered it because I started getting involved with the CD Foundation, and probably most of you don't know about that foundation. It's very tiny. It's actually the sister to CNCF. It's also under the Linux Foundation, but it focuses on continuous delivery. So there's a number of projects in here, and I think probably the most famous one in here is Jenkins. This is where the Jenkins project lives. So these are chances to, you know, you can get involved with these foundations and companies can get involved and support this work with these open source projects to be able to continue to use them in the communities. But one of the projects in here that came from a discussion about interoperability because we all have our pipelines, our software pipelines, and we're all concerned about, you know, security and moving uh, artifacts from one place to another, getting messages from one tool to another. There are many, many instances where, you know, maybe your pipeline is composed of a bunch of different tools, not, you know, you don't have like an end-to-end solution because of various reasons. Uh, there may be... Um, you know, different capabilities you're looking for and different tool sets that specialize. So this project called CD Events, it's actually a spec and it is starting this conversation about getting all of these tools on the same page as far as how they communicate with one another. And the idea here is to use, you know, very much like cloud events. If you're familiar with cloud events, that was a starting point for the CD Events spec, getting agreement in the community of how you might emit these events and how you would consume these events so that all of these tools can work cleanly together. Definitely something to watch for. Some I you know, stuff I, going on in 2024. I didn't realize this, the, continue, the CD Foundation had this landscape. Yes. <laughs> I use things a lot because if you look at the CNCF landscape, it's you know huge, right? And, and this yeah. one is much smaller, very focused on certain capabilities. Still a lot though. So this is CD, cdevents.dev. I haven't heard of this. This is actually new. I'm excited. I did not realize yeah. this existed. Yeah, they have on the CD Foundation website, there's a calendar, community calendar, and you can actually join the public events that are displayed there. And so there's a group that works with CD events. Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, I put the link in there, cd.foundation, and there's a community calendar that takes you right to a Google calendar. And yeah, there's several other people in our community that are posting on Twitter about stuff that they're working on with CD Foundation, putting out blog posts. You can actually be like a CD Foundation ambassador or captain or something, I, if I remember correctly. So. That I'm not sure about. I think I know we have an ambassador program. It's very similar to the yes, ambassador program. 
Yeah, so you could get you could be Java Docker Captain CD Ambassador, right? Or and right. all the other titles. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Not confusing at all. Yeah, this is I've been watching these people for a while. There's actually a newsletter I believe that I get. It may actually just be from one of the ambassadors, but there's a lot going on here. And there's like like you said, there's a lot of projects. Their project page doesn't seem to want to load for me. So, the, but the landscape does, and there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of projects. So we've already had a vote in the for Argo CD. Of course, that's my vote for how, how to deploy in Kubernetes. But we don't always deploy to Kubernetes, and we can't always use something like Argo. So, for example, if you don't have access to Git from inside your clusters, you can't yet use Argo unless you use the image updater, which not everybody wants to use. But I, this is actually cool. I didn't realize that maybe the landscape itself is maybe an open source project. Of course, it makes sense. If it's CNCF, it's open source. And so they're using it themselves. And it's not quite as busy, so it's nice. All right, that's 2024. Yeah, plus one to to your theme, Melissa. I think CI, CD, the pre-git commit phase of development is going to have a lot of action and activity next year. It's starting to ramp up this year. We had Dagger on earlier this, or just a few weeks ago, and kind of, you know, the the recent announcements around Atomic Jar and Test Container, some of that activity around developer-focused inner loop pre-git commit. I know we just talked about CD, <laughs> uh, but the the CI side of it too, um, and, and pre-CI, I think you could say, is going to get a lot of action and activity next year. And excited to see what kind of comes out during the year next year around that space. If you don't mind me going next, Brett, 2024 for me is going to be focused on MLOps. So I think as we've seen a growth in AI, uh oh, I said it. Do I have to put some like money in a jar or something like that? You can Um, say it, it just can't be your favorite. You you can't cop out. Okay. AI AI is not my favorite, but robots, remember who your friends are in the future. (laughs) Um, Kind, your AI robot. I think of machine learning operations. So MLOps is kind of like DevOps applied to machine learning workloads, both on a training and serving side and data processing, training, testing of of machine learning models, deploying them, uh, serving them, inference, uh, fine tuning, all those kind of things that are around machine learning operations. I'm very curious to our audience. um, I would love to see some comments. If, If this is something that you're seeing an interest in or maybe upskilling around machine learning, just because of the intersection of machine learning with a lot of the products that and, and services that we're supporting these days and building. And uh, that request coming from folks like data scientists, machine learning engineers, uh, product managers asking to integrate machine learning features into the applications and systems that we support. So to me, 2024 is going to be a continuation of the maturity of MLOps tools as it pertains to Kubernetes, cloud, containers, et cetera. Containers are the foundational part of machine learning ops, right? So we're seeing a lot of the machine learning workloads, both on the training side and on the inference side, utilizing containers as that interoperability, as that thing that gets moved around, which is awesome. But machine learning workloads are bigger, right? Like these models are huge. I know we used to talk about like Windows containers being like really big and kind of like hand waving. It's okay. We can do containers with 40 gig images, but now that's becoming more and more likely with these machine learning workloads. So I'm going to do a shout out for the Ray framework. That's something that I'm looking into and interested in. I think we're going to see more of these MLOps and distributed frameworks for doing distributed training, distributed inference, squeezing the most out of the compute that we have and these expensive, you know, GPUs and other technologies that we want to use for machine learning, getting the most out of them. But that's my theme for next year. I think we're going to see more and more of these machine learning workloads in the DevOps, Docker, container, Kubernetes world that we inhabit. So Brett, I think next year we're going to try to tackle some of these topics and, and learn yeah. together around we, them. We, have, we definitely have not. I can say this confidently. We have not had an MLOps yeah. episode. Yes. <laughs> it's the one thing I was like, yeah, we definitely have thrown that word around, but not had a show on it. In fact, I was just looking at all the times that 
Docker on their own blog has mentioned MLOps because a lot of times I don't, for example, I don't think of Docker or as a container is like solving my MLOps problems or working on it or whatever. But Docker has been talking increasingly about it more this year. Um, and they're probably going to talk about it even more next year. Yeah. And to that point, I know you're, you've had some of the folks from Olama on your show before and they were at DockerCon. I'm going to shout out to Olama as well. I've been using that tool to do some, use some machine learning models locally on, on my MacBook Pro. And uh, I, I'm really liking that tool. It makes it really easy to download a, a model and have it up and running in a usable way locally and kind of just kicking the helps kick the tires on different models as we're learning how to use these new technologies in our world, right? So I think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of things too next year and both on the MLOps side, right? To get to the point where you have a machine learning model and then also tools to use machine learning models, pre-trained and fine-tuning them and making them our own. So excited to see where that world goes next year. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Olama. We're definitely going to, we're planning a show for them next year. Docker announced it at DockerCon as they partnered with Olama and a couple other tools to create sort of a AI slash ML toolkit kind of thing for Docker desktop. So there are sessions, I think, or videos from DockerCon, but one of the, they don't just have great software, but Olama also has great uh, stickers and images. Like you can actually get these stickers if you go to the conference. is the best. Yeah, yeah, we'll have Matt Williams on the show for sure. Back on the show, he was in on a lot this year before they invented Olama. And now that he's been too busy since Olama to come back on the show. So we're definitely going to talk about that, I think. And then at KubeCon, they talked, they showed a demo in the first like 15 minutes of the first keynote on Kubernetes with Olama. But I don't have a URL for that. I don't know if, if you remember, there was something like LLM starter kit or something like that. The Gen AI starter kit. Yeah. Which so, I think had Olama, Langchain, Docker Desktop, and something else. The vector database. Neo4j. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Neo4j, I think. That's I it. should know. I should have known that they were, their booth was right next to mine. <laughs> Perfect. We're good friends with Neo4j. Yeah, so I think that's going to be another thing for 2024 is Neo4j, vector databases. It seems like with machine learning, data processing, I think we're, we can no longer say like, only do stateless on Kubernetes. Like stateful workloads are starting to dominate the Kubernetes landscape. So yeah, that's that's now a thing and we're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm going to rapid fire some of these questions. You show how to use Wasm, definitely WebAssembly, cloud native WebAssembly. You heard me talk about it on a recent podcast. Nermal and I talked about it at KubeCon with Nigel Poulton, who's one of the Docker captains that's trying to make He's trying to be our conduit to what's happening in Wasm for container na cloud native. I'm calling it cloud native Wasm. I don't know if that's the real term yet, but we're calling basically when you want to run WebAssembly apps on servers, not in browsers, but on servers in Kubernetes, I'm calling that cloud native Wasm. So we're, we had a show on that a year ago. Not, I don't feel like a terrible amount has changed in terms of people that are operating Kubernetes and stuff. We've got maybe a few more runtimes out there that are more popular or that work with Kubernetes, but I'm not a developer of, I mean, I've run build tools that turn it into WebAssembly, but I am not a WebAssembly expert. So we'll have to do dive more into that once we see some new capabilities. The, I just realized, by the way, we're going to, we need to do that Inspector Gadget show next year. So we learned about this tool at KubeCon, great name, Inspector Gadget, which is eBPF. It's Ops. to me, it's like, Argo CD for eBPF tools. I'm not sure how to describe it, but it's a deployment and management tool. Why don't we bring them on, on and we can learn what it is? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're going to do that. I, I got to write this down. It's Inspector Gadget <laughs> with a K. There we go. So that one, we're going to have them on. We have, they don't know it yet. We actually asked for someone to be on the show, but we haven't, we don't have a date set, but we're going to have them on the show to talk about this because the operator in me is always excited when we have a new technology that we can possibly run in containers. And in this case, because it has to have so many additional security parameters around it, more access to the kernel than maybe your default app, it does require special handling. And up until now, we've had to fall back to old legacy tooling for managing all this in your clusters. And this is trying to solve that. It's a great idea. It's not really a standard yet. They're just trying to make a consensus around how we all manage our eBPF tooling. And it's a pretty cool idea. So we'll have to have them on the show. Well, I'm going to throw out a wild card from for me. I'm not going to talk about the what I'm looking forward to in terms of de 
developer or DevOps tooling, I'm just going to mention a consumer app that I'm very excited about for being a DevOps person, engineer, someone who has to work in tech in a browser all day. And that's just going to be the browser I'm using. I haven't had a whole show on this, but I mention it every once in a while. And people go, yeah, I've heard about this browser, but I haven't tried it. Well, Arc is out. It's now 1.0. Anyone can download it. And they just started accepting Windows people, which we've all been waiting for. And arc.net, I will send you all there. I get nothing. I don't think I get anything for sharing an, an invite code, but maybe I'll see if I can. There's a special invite code. Brett, I've never heard you arc. mention this browser before. What do you most like about it? So real quick, Arc browser, why do we care? Like we've all had Chrome for 20 years and we've all tried to change. I used to use Firefox. I was using Mozilla before that, Navigator before that. I mean, if you go back in the 90s, I haven't changed my default browser. I don't know about either one of you. I've tried to change to Safari several times. In the last few years, I've tried to change back to Firefox and there's, it's a struggle bus. It, it's, there's various incompatibilities, extensions, not everything works right, or if there's compatibility with websites because we have an imperfect internet. And Arc takes the Chrome engine, Chromium, and they wrap it in a brand new UI that will sync all your tabs across all your devices. But that's just the that's just the entry point. That's what gets you in the door, and you're like, oh, cool. And so it does like everything else. Well, I used to use Chrome bookmark tabs or whatever you want to call those pin tabs. And I always thought they kind of sucked. So each one of my spaces has all my tabs for that particular project or topic. So if I'm doing my business admin and I need to go over to my Amazon, my wish list for Christmas or searching why my new Xbox power cord is loose, uh, that's over here and it's a different color and I do my admin stuff. And if I swipe, I go to another space and this is my company, my email, my course management, so you can imagine the different, all the different parts of your life and all these things are synced to your phone. They're coming to Windows, so it'll sync across it and it's near instant sync. Plus it's a wonderful UI. It's got the best UI, very minimal, even more minimal than Chrome. And the thing I'm excited about for 2024 is the fact that there are now a ton of AI features in it, including, and you've been seeing these throughout the show, everything you do in this browser is via the little pop-up and you can search anything here, including how do I install Olama? I can ask ChatGPT straight from the browser search bar. That's built in. So it's going to give me, you know, it's actually going to tell me something. I was going to, I was afraid it was going to say it's too, I don't know about it yet. It's too soon. So it's got AI features built in. If I'm looking at search, so if I go to Google, I just search up, how do I fix my power cord problem? When I hover over any link, it gives me an AI summary, including images, if it's, if necessary wow. of that without having to go there. Wow. So any link on any web page is instantly summarizable, if that's a thing, summarizable. If I Summarize. search a page and it finds nothing, I could ask the AI about the content on the page and it will, su it, so if I don't want to read the page, I can just ask it to summarize while I'm on the page and it will do it. And it's got all these extra little features. If you go into Max, these are all free, by the way, I can have it automatically rename tabs to, to what the AI thinks the tab title should be. It can rename my downloads to be what it thinks is what it, it looks in the file, summarizes the file in the title of the file name. These are things you didn't know you needed in a browser. And it's got every month, they feel like they're releasing more AI features. So uh, it's my new favorite. It's been my default browser since the beginning of the year. I've said it. I'm done. Go get art. Ah, <laughs> uh, I think you should approach Arc browser. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> like you, have them on the show, talk about the yes. engineering side. There you go. You had I me at that tab idea. organization. I mean, I'm just, I'm one of those that has multiple windows open with a gazillion tabs in each, and I don't want to close any of them because I need them. Yep. <laughs> but you don't want them sitting there. You don't want them like right. I, yeah. minified or something. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm very much that way. I love the Safari uh, tab syncing they did a couple years ago, but it was still Safari. And this, because it's Chromium, it runs all the extensions. It does everything that you can, you need out of Chrome, but they, their attitude as a company is sort of, they want to get us away from using Google as our central point of going to the internet and being served ads and shopping links all the time. And they're pretty, they're very privacy focused, even though they don't claim this as like a privacy browser. So they're very much not wanting Google to, you know, like there's link 
they don't want they, they don't want necessarily the bad rep that Chrome has had in the past. And if people are interested more about how the company works, it's called the Browser Company of New York, which is an amazing company name. But over on YouTube, if you want to learn more about them, they have a channel and they will put like portions of their board meetings on here. They are very, an, a very open and young company, a startup in San Francisco, but also based in New York City. And they have great videos. The, one of the cool things they do is they have the engineers that make a feature for the browser come in and do a little video on making of the feature for the browser. They're also porting the Swift language to Windows so that they can make this browser, which is traditionally on Mac using the Swift language, which is fast and has great UI. They're porting Swift to Windows so they can natively write it instead of in C++, where we get a lot of security problems. They want to develop it in a, a more secure language by default, which is Swift, evidently. And they have a lot of engineering details in here, including the lead engineer on that migration or the open source toolkit they're building for that. So if you're an engineer wanting to learn about how browsers are built, this is actually a great channel. Anyway. I'm a fan. I think we should have him on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is it like? What What is a? Sh I would love to talk about the CICD of that. Like yeah. you're making a browser. We've all got to download it. You're shipping every week. They yeah. also ship update videos and amazing readmes with it every week. So they've got a really unique delivery pipeline for how we all get updates on. Yeah, Mac. that would be interesting. I would. I'd be interested in watching that one. All right. Any last before we wrap this up? Do you have a last late entry? thing for 2024 another thing that didn't make the list i'm just gonna shout out to my mom hello mom hey moms <laughs> oh and i also want to shout out to beth for helping you make the show and all the people that are on your show this is my wife's work uh, th this wonderful little christmas display and she got this she got us all together so if it wasn't for her we would all not be here together it'd be yeah. disorganized so another thing for 2024 Whew, there's so much. It's kind of we're we've got a lot of stuff to keep on top of for next year. So I think the main thing I am looking forward to is continuing to co-host with you, Brett, and diving into all kinds of new territory with you on the show. So my main thing for 2024 is to ask the audience to come with your questions, come with topics, themes, things that you want to explore, and uh, we'll do our best to dig into those topics. So that's what I that's my ask. My last ask yeah. for next year. If you're watching after the fact, you can always put it as a comment on things you'd like to see yes. in the world of cloud native DevOps. If that was ever, if we had a theme on this channel, it would be cloud native DevOps. Yes. So yeah, we've got to. How about you, Melissa? Anything, any last minute? No pressure. 2024? No pressure. No, I'm just, I'm, it's been a pleasure being on here with you guys. I learned a couple new things. I'm definitely going to go check out that new browser for sure. Yeah, I'm knee deep. Well, I, I can't say knee because I'm pretty short. I'm this deep <laughs> above my head in learning all of the MLOps stuff, the new workflows, the, the tool sets and everything because it, it's quite a different stack than what yeah. I'm used to as you know, developing in. So I'm interested in learning new stuff. I am looking at SageMaker right now, AWS SageMaker, and just trying to understand, you know, how that is set up and how you're able to do, you know, your training and your inferences, all the infrastructure that is set up already mm -hmm. for you. Pretty cool. Check that out. Um, cool. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to what's new. So you're going to yeah. come back on and teach us, teach us MLOps? Is that what you're saying? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. It's on the internet now. You have to do it. <laughs> I'm committed. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Now, I got a last late entry question. Actually, I saw it earlier, but I kind of skipped it. Asking, how do you run non-ARM stuff on ARM, essentially? And if you don't have an image that supports ARM, you're either going to... You got two options, really. You're going to have to recompile everything or just find the source code of those dependencies you have and recompile them in ARM. That's the hard mode. Or use QEMU, which will affect performance. And you can use QEMU on an ARM server to run Intel AMD x86 processes on your ARM server, but you will get, a, I would say, a pretty significant performance loss. So you maybe could start with QEMU. You have to install that manually on your Linux servers, and you have to configure Docker to use it. You can't really put different binaries in the same image. You can't have ARM and AMD or x86, 64, and ARM 64 in the same image. You wouldn't want to do that. So either keep it one or the other, Keep it Intel for now and, and use QEMU. And then once you've rebuilt everything and you have your own custom pipeline to rebuild it all, that would be my recommendation. So yes. but that was a wild card right there. So that was a great question. And another topic that 
I think is going to be big on 2024 is yeah. more arm for sure. More, more arm. <laughs> more arm. Yeah. More graviton. <laughs> Conrad got in and said K6. So yes, we have mentioned K6 several times. We have not dug into it or talked about it. We're going to need to get some K6 project people in to talk about that. That would be a good one. We have a couple testing episodes every year. In fact, someone else talked about Atomic Jar at the very beginning. I totally forgot that one. Someone mentioned what's going up with Atomic, what's going on with Atomic Jar. Docker just bought Atomic Jar, which is test containers, which is frameworks to help you with better testing inside specific languages in Docker containers. So if you haven't looked that up, testcontainers.cloud, and we had them on the show a couple of years ago, one of the co-founders, and now they're with Docker. So if you're into that, we'll, we'll definitely need to have a testing episode for K6 or for test containers or for both again. Because I think the one of the things that test containers started with Java, but it didn't mm -hmm. have all the languages at the time, I think two years ago. It was two years and two days from the Docker announcement a couple of days ago that we had them on the show. So I'm pretty sure they've got more coverage on different languages. So if you're someone who was on the fence about trying that out, I think it they have a longer list nowadays. So anywho, testing, MLOps, AI. <clears throat> and that'll be the themes for browsers. Browsers. Change your browser, people. Give it a shot. <laughs> Tell me what you hate about it. Tell me what you love and hate. All right. Well, thank you to fine people for being on the show. This has been great. Where can we find you, Melissa? Because I know you speak at conferences or you yeah. and you're, oh, you are at conferences. You hang out in the real world with people. Where can we find you? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Those are the best places to reach out to me. Nice. Yeah, links for these two are below. Like if you look in the description, if you want to follow them both on X, Twitter, whatever, or follow them on LinkedIn, we, we're all on all three of, on all two of those places. You can probably find us all on GitHub somewhere in GitHub. I want to thank our audience for dialing in regularly, asking awesome questions, posting great comments. Yes. Well, thanks again, Melissa. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.